Thank you, Rick and Beth. We'll open our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Uh, I'll tell you, I've got a lot of favorite passages of Scripture throughout the Bible. It'd be hard to narrow it down to one. I've got several favorite chapters in the Bible. It'd be hard to narrow it down to one, but this is one of them if I was going to make a list in Romans chapter 10. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a buzzword that uh, you may hear a lot, in, uh, especially in the business community and in, uh, in the secular world, we call it best practices. You may have heard of best practices. And uh, we don't, a lot of times uh, we don't hear that word as much around the church. Maybe, uh, maybe we ought to because the best practices are right here. And we're going to look at some best practices this morning as they pertain to mission work. But you say, what are you talking about best practices? Well, for example, if you want to improve your marriage... Go talk to somebody who's been married 50 or 60 years, right? Don't go to the newlywed couple down the street, okay? And don't go to the, to the person. You know, I, I knew somebody one time who I was told they had been married so many times they could no longer legally be married anymore in the state of Arkansas. I didn't know there was a cap, but I was told that about this person. Don't go ask that person about marriage advice. Maybe ask them for some tips on places to go on the honeymoon, Okay, they've had a lot of experience there, but don't ask them for marriage advice. If you want to improve your leadership skills, find a good leader. Maybe pick up a John Maxwell book, one of the greatest uh, authors on the topic of leadership. If you're looking to run a marathon and need some advice, don't ask me. My theme verse on that topic is uh, over in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. It says, only the wicked run when no one is chasing them. One of the versions actually says it pretty close to that. But talk to somebody who's actually run a marathon. And you'll find out some things when you talk. I mean, when, when I think about these people, some of my first thoughts are they're crazy. Why does anyone want to run 26.2 miles? Why does anyone want to put their body through that? But you talk to them, you find out kind of how they do it, how they train to do it. You'll find out why they do it. They've got some big goals. It's a big personal thing for them. What makes them tick? And you'll find out maybe they're not as crazy as you think. And then we think about missionaries, and as we focus on world missions and the World Missions Day offering next week, sometimes we think about missionaries and we think, oh, they're crazy. I mean, really? They, look at this great life they've got here, and they're going to pack it all up. And they're going to move their entire family all the way around the world to a third world country or to a jungle or to some other place where they're sure not going to have the comforts of home. Why? Why would they want to do that? What makes them want to leave all those comforts of home? Well, maybe if we study their ways and we study what they do and, and how they do it and what their purpose is, maybe we can understand them a lot better. And I think, you know, also, not only does it help us understand them better and support them better, but by studying why they do what they do, it'll help us be a better missionary to our community here, where we don't even have to leave the comforts of home to serve our community the way Jesus taught us to. And so our text this morning in Romans chapter 10 is a report from a missionary. It's from the Apostle Paul, arguably one of the greatest missionaries to ever live, to ever, to ever work. And in this passage of Scripture that we'll read, we'll read a little lengthy passage of Scripture to get to, the, to our main 
focus point to get some background. But as we read through his report, I think we'll find some some best practices that we can emulate in our life every day. We'll find some things that will help us understand what makes a missionary tick. Why do they do what they do? And why do they need us to support them at the level that they ask? In Romans chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Paul writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which, with, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house this morning, to to preach your word, to read your word, to study your word. And Father, I pray that you would speak uh, through me this morning. But Father, speak directly to the hearts of, of each and every person in this sanctuary this morning. And everyone who hears uh, this message, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that we'd leave here changed people and we'd leave here uh, more on fire for you and for your word than ever before. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the Apostle Paul, here in Romans chapter 10, of course, it's fairly obvious as we, as we begin reading this, he's writing, of course, to his Jewish audience. The, the folks who were, who were previously of the Jewish faith who have converted to Christianity, and he's writing to them. But as we read through this, we find a lot of stuff that applies to us as well. So before we get down to that key part about missions that we really want to look at, let's look at the, the backdrop of the passage. The first several verses as we read through Romans chapter 10, he, it's an indictment against his own people, against the Jewish people that he's writing to. You see there uh, in, in verse uh, 1 of, of chapter 10, I mean, the Apostle Paul says, 
my heart's desire, the most intense desire of my heart is for my home nation, the nation of Israel, to, to be saved, for them to find true salvation through Jesus Christ. That's Paul's number one desire as a missionary is to see his home country people find Jesus Christ as their Savior. But as we read through those verses, Paul says, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You're not following Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, you're rejecting Jesus and trying to find salvation on your own terms instead of the terms laid out by Jesus Christ. Look in verse 2. He says, I bear witness. I bear them witness. I bear witness to Israel that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Salvation comes when we submit to the righteousness of God. Paul says all have, I mean, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He said that back in chapter 3 of Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The people he's writing to, they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They're not righteous on their own. They've rejected Jesus. And not only did they reject Jesus, but the Jewish people that he's writing to, they wanted this salvation on their own terms. And once we get it, we're going to keep it for ourselves. That's their attitude. Salvation is for us, they thought. Salvation is only for the Jewish people. And here's a problem that I think we see, thankfully, I I don't see it in Brister at all. But so many churches in America are dying today because they say, hey, this salvation, this message is for us. And we're going to keep it here and we're not going to be a church that leaves the building. I'm thankful to serve in a church that leaves the building and takes the gospel message outside the doors because a church that doesn't reach beyond its walls is really not a church at all. So Paul says, look, he blows this argument out of the waters. We look over to verse 11. He says, look, the, the, the gospel is not just for you. The gospel is not just for the Jews. He says in verse 11, the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And I love verse 13. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word whoever refers to the fact that race or social status doesn't play a role in who can be saved. Cultural boundaries do not play a role in who will enter the kingdom of heaven. I think a lot of people are going to be shocked when they get to heaven and look around and see who's there. Really, I didn't know those people were going to be in heaven. You know, I think if that's your way of thinking, you need to check and see if you're going to be there. Really, you know? I mean, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's what Paul's saying. The barrier to salvation, it's not racial, it's not cultural, it's not your social status. The barrier to salvation is the personal rejection of the God who offers it. You know what determines whether or not you go to heaven? not how good you are. It's whether or not you accept the God who's offering salvation. You know, uh, a lot of folks uh, here know, some don't. My, my papa was a pastor for a long time, you know, all my life. 
And a long time before that, because he was old as far as I could remember, and had been a pastor for a long time. But I remember hearing him offer his invitation. And he always used verse 13 of Romans chapter 10 when he'd offer his invitation. Here's what he'd say. And this is, I think, this is one of the absolute best ways to, to interpret this verse. He'd say, for whosoever, now insert your name right there. Now whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he'd ask, have you inserted your name right there? There's something we need to think about. Paul reminded them salvation is available to anyone and everyone who accepts it. And you know, the Apostle Peter over in 2 Peter chapter 3, he echoed this in verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's for everyone because God's desire is that every human being who has ever lived, who lives now, who will ever live, comes to a saving knowledge of himself. But salvation doesn't come, Paul says, until man responds. John MacArthur, the, the, uh, the, the writer and scholar, said it this way. He said, in order to produce salvation, God's unmerited grace demands man's positive response. A positive response to the gospel is required for salvation. With all that in mind, that salvation is available to everyone, and that God desires that every man come to a saving and knowledge of him, and that without accepting the free gift of salvation, people do go to hell. With all of that in mind, Paul launches into these rhetorical questions that provide probably the greatest framework and the greatest reason why mission work is so important, and that is the most important activity that any Christian can ever be involved in. So backing up again to verse 13, let's read these verses of Scripture. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You see, the only way people are saved, the only way people go to heaven, is if they call upon the name of the Lord. If they, the, He said back there just a few verses back, he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'd be saved. How's anybody going to do that if they don't know to do it? That's why we do missions. That's why we're involved in mission work. That's what keeps missionaries going is the fact that people can't call on God for salvation until they believe in him and that people can't believe on him unless they've heard the good news and that people can't hear the good news unless someone tells them and that people can't tell unless they're sent. It seems common sense. But see, Paul had to remind this group of Christians that, this group of believers that, because they'd forgot. Sometimes maybe we forget. I hope we don't forget that. 
But do you want to know what makes a missionary want to uproot his family, move him halfway around the world, or even just across the country to, to plant a church in another part of the United States, move him away from family, to move out of their comfort zone? Do you know what makes a man or a woman want to do that? It's the fact that they know that every day people are dying and go to hell because they don't know Jesus as their Savior. And it's the fact they can't call on a God they don't know. Why do we give to missions? Why are we taking up a special offering next week dedicated to missions? Because these men and women can't go unless they're sent. And you know what? It takes financial resources to go. It takes financial resources to go. And you might say, well, What about God supplying their needs? If they want to go, won't God supply their needs? Yes, by that offering we're going to take next week. All right, we could launch into a whole other topic of giving right now. I could get on my soapbox, and I could remind you that the Bible says that every dime you have belongs to God, and that he gave you the ability to work and earn that money. He gave you the ability to have that money, and guess what? He gets to tell you what to do with that money, and he said give it. He said, support the missionaries. God said, I'm going to support these missionaries. And guess what? The money's in your pocket to do it. That's why we do it, because we're commanded to do so. And now, in my notes, I wrote one last point. Don't get your hopes up. It's a long point, okay? It may take a little while to make that. I didn't say in conclusion. We're not concluding. But Paul summarizes all this up in verse 17. He says, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. Why are missionaries so important? Why why is it so important for us to be missionaries in our own community? Let me tell you, faith comes by hearing, Paul says. How do people come to faith in Jesus Christ? By hearing the gospel. And you say, well, preacher, that's your job to preach. Well, guess what? I don't know all the people you know. Brother Eric and I will never come into contact with the people that you all come into contact on a day-to-day basis. You know what? They won't let me in the schools to stand up and preach. They might in a small town like Emerson, but most places they won't. They won't let me go into your workplaces and just in the middle of the workday stand up and start preaching the gospel. But guess what? As you go throughout your day-to-day life, you have the opportunity to share God's word with the people around you. And faith comes by hearing, Paul says. Too often we get hung up on, and I mean, I, I know I've, I've talked a lot about you know good works, that because we're saved we ought to do good works and And uh, that's the way our salvation is demonstrated in the world is through the good works that we do. But, you know, you you really won't find in here where it says people come to faith because they saw you get something off the top shelf for a little old lady at Walmart who was, I do that a lot. I'm not bragging or anything. But uh, the top shelves were made for me at Walmart. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an example of a good work. But you know what? That good work didn't save anybody. Because you know what? That good work, they didn't hear the gospel. It says faith comes by hearing. You know, if faith came by seeing, it wouldn't be faith at all. Because over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the writer there says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith doesn't come by watching. Faith comes by seeing. We'll never win the masses to Christ by putting on a good show. We'll never 
win the masses to Christ by just saying the way I'm going to spread the gospel is by doing good deeds in public. Here's what it is. It's when we speak the word of God. People really get confused by the things they see sometimes. You know, I think that's why God puts such an emphasis on us speaking the gospel and us, us talking about the gospel. Even some of Jesus' closest disciples got confused when they saw some things. Turn with me, if you will, for just a moment. Over, save your place here, but, but turn over to Mark chapter 9. This is a story that, oh, we could go multiple, multiple sermons on this, and, and we have, and we'll look at this a little more tonight. But there's a great illustration of what we're talking about in Romans 10, right here in Mark 9, in the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. In, in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, Mark writes, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. He was changed. His clothes became shining exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, uh, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Stop there for just a second. So here Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, and they go up on this mountain. Before their very eyes, Jesus is transfigured into his glorious heavenly body. God rips back the veil and allows them to see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Okay, their faith has become sight, and they are confused for a minute. They're seeing Jesus in all of his glory, and we know they're confused because it says in verse 6, Peter didn't know what to say. Peter didn't have words, and Peter always had words. Peter is, I told the teenagers not long ago, he's like my favorite disciple because I see a lot of myself in him, open mouth, insert foot, happens all the time. Peter didn't know what to say. It confused them. And he starts saying things that really uh, we'll look at tonight, but really were not appropriate for the moment. And, and God speaks in verse 7. It says, And a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. God didn't speak up while Jesus is there in all of his glory and is, is, is transformed into his glorious form. God didn't say, look at him, behold him, watch him. God said, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Why is that so important? Listen to what he has to say. Listen to his teachings. Listen to Jesus. Because as you move on, and as you move on through, uh, throughout the teachings of Jesus, you see in the Great Commission, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we stop right there. But Jesus didn't stop there in giving the Great Commission because Jesus went on to say, And 
teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. How are we going to teach others? How are we going to tell others about Jesus if we're not listening to Jesus? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will be my witnesses. And a witness is, is someone who does what? They tell what they know, what they've seen, or what they've experienced. And oh, did you notice there in Mark chapter 9, when, when God speaks up, he says, he says, this is my son, hear him. Now back just a few verses, it, it tells us that, that Jesus was talking with Elijah and Moses, and God didn't say, listen to, oh, listen to their conversation. Listen to what Elijah and Moses are saying. God said, focus on Jesus. Can you imagine what a difference it would make in our world if Christians would stop listening to all the other talking heads out there, ignore the stuff on Facebook, ignore the stuff on the news, ignore everybody else who's talking, and if we, if only Christians, only listened to Jesus. What a difference it would make to advance the gospel. Do you know what I believe one of the number one impediments of mission work is. It's when we stop listening to Jesus and start listening to two other, too many other talking heads. To see the things that Christians share on social media and, and to, to hear the things that come out of Christians' mouths because they've been listening to all the talking heads and then they start spewing out the things the talking heads have been saying. And Jesus simply said love. But the things that we often hear are so far from that. God said, listen to Jesus. This is the Father. This is the Creator. He says, listen to Jesus and only listen to Jesus. So if you and I are going to learn the best practices from Paul over in Romans chapter 10, it's all summed up in that last verse, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the Word of God. And in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, The Word became flesh. Jesus Christ, the living, breathing Word of God. It's the only way faith comes about. If we're to be effective missionaries in our own community. We have to do one thing. We have to be attentive people and we have to really hear the Word of God. And there's only one way to hear it. I mean, just standing and listening to the preacher on Sunday morning, I mean, that's not really how I believe you ought to be getting most of your hearing the Word of God. How any of us ought to be. It ought to be as we actually take time to read it and hear from Him as He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. If we want people all over the world to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we've got to continually support the missionaries who are on the field willing to go and tell it. Because how will they believe on Him whom they've not heard? As the musicians come and we prepare for our time of invitation together. I don't know where any of this leaves you this morning. Maybe it leaves you sitting there saying, you know what? 
This morning, I need to call upon the name of the Lord. This morning, I need to confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. This morning, I need to be saved. Well, this morning, during this time of invitation and even beyond, the invitation is open. Brother Eric or I, either one, would love to share with you how you can call upon the name of the Lord, how you can put verse 13 into action in your life, how you can insert your name. For if Jeremy calls upon the name of the Lord, it says, Jeremy will be saved. For if you call upon the name of the Lord, it says, you will be saved. Maybe this morning the message leaves you desiring to be bolder in your efforts to tell others, and I hope that your prayer will be for all of us that we will be bolder to share the gospel with others, that we will be bolder to, to support the mission work of our church and our association. Whatever God has laid on your heart, would you stand as we sing?